This is a Federal News Network podcast. Few acquisition methods have proven as popular with agency buyers as indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contracts, known affectionately as IDIQs. Protests, though, have killed off at least one planned IDIQ and threatened to delay or stop a couple of others. Here with more on this unfortunate trend, federal sales and marketing consultant Larry Allen. And Larry, from your latest writings, you seem worried about a couple of very big signature IDIQs uh, coming out. Tom, I think there's reason to be concerned. Uh, When you get one program, when you and I have talked previously about what happened to GSA's small business companion contract for Alliant, you know, it never made it off the launch pad due to protests. You know, that's one thing. But you're looking now at other major procurements. NIH has its CIO SP4 contract. That has over two dozen protests right now, and we're still in the pre-award phase, Tom. We haven't even addressed what happens after unsuccessful offers might do a post-award protest. And then you look across the street at the Department of Homeland Security, you know, their large vehicle for small businesses, first source, first source two. That's been delayed right now by protests for six months and counting. You know, we saw this problem way back in the mid-1990s, you and I, when you had agencies that were doing single award contracts on these large IDIQs. But now, even in a multiple award arena, you're seeing months-long delays that cost both industry and government millions of dollars uh, on protests. And, you know, there's an ability to protest that's kind of unique in government contracting. And overall, I think that's a net good thing. But it really is jeopardizing the ability of these large IDIQs to function as they're intended to. Yeah, you make a good point because those IDIQs of the 90s, I remember the the desktop series by the Air Force. There was one, two, three, four. I think there was a desktop five. I can't remember now. But those were going to one or maybe two vendors at the most. And so the stakes were enormous. In this case, like CIOSP4, which is now reopened to bidding just within the past day or so, you have hundreds potentially of contractors that are going to be on this IDIQ which does make it puzzling why they try to stop the agency in the infancy of these things. Well, one of the common threads that all of these have together, Tom, is that most of these protests are all driven by small businesses over small business issues. And look, I'm a big small business advocate. Don't get me wrong. I think it's great. But you can't not look at the commonality here. And there really seems to be a struggle going on in these large contracting agencies between attracting small businesses who you want to attract and yet being able to make sure that the small businesses you're attracting are capable of meeting the government's needs, are capable of functioning on the contract that they're bidding on. So it's open for small businesses, but not all small businesses are created equal. Some have more experience than others. I think the ones that get frustrated and think that, you know, they they were just going to be able to walk on, they uh, seem to be the ones to file the protests. And that really slows things down. And ultimately, it can hurt just as many small businesses as it helps, maybe even more. 
I think there might be the dynamic that small businesses feel empowered to challenge these things, in part because the Biden administration has such ambitious goals for small business. So the atmosphere is good. But on the other hand, when you get to the individual agency solicitation level, you've got to follow the rules of the solicitation and the specific regulations as they exist, which may or may not mitigate in favor of a particular small business. So you've got the big policy driving them towards this, but yet the reality on the ground means in some cases you don't qualify. And the issuing agencies in some of these cases, Tom, have not done themselves any favors. NIH had to go back and consistently redo how it would count and score previous experience from small business teams. That was a a source of a lot of the protests. If you look at first source at DHS, they put in a brand new set of requirements for certifications that bidders would have to have. That caught a lot of small businesses by surprise. And DHS had hinted that they might put those requirements in the final RFP, but they actually didn't appear until the final RFP. And that caused a lot of small businesses to say, wait, that's unduly restrictive of competition. We can't compete on that. We're going to protest. And so you see that here. You see the agencies have that desire to try to be innovative or try to be real clear to your point about what it is they're looking for. The message either isn't getting across in a timely manner or it just isn't getting across at all. We're speaking with Larry Allen, president of Allen Federal Business Ooh. Partners. And uh, then if there's no IDIQs, there's always the BPA. And now, <laughs> I guess, in a sign of how mature the cloud market is becoming, GSA is moving ahead with a cloud BPA. Tell us about that one. Tom, this was something that the industry was initially pretty skeptical about. And I think there's still some skepticism because GSA does have all manner of IDIQ contracts in place right now to deliver a full array of cloud services. But the agency is kind of saying to industry, look, that may be true, but customer agencies are coming to us and saying, we want customized cloud solutions for our agency. And it's tough to do that if you constantly have to modify something at the contract level. You might have to do a new procurement. You might have to do a whole host of work. Rather than, why don't we just set up a group of blanket purchase agreements against the GSA schedule? The BPAs are much more customizable. If we need to tailor make a solution, we can tweak the BPA so long as it's in scope of the original award. It's much easier to manage and tailor make a BPA solution than it is a contract level solution. And so that's what I think GSA is really up to. It really kind of shows the flexibility again, Tom, of the schedules program, because you've got all these contracts out there, and yet not everybody wants the soup to nuts solutions that are on some of these larger contracts. They want to do the cafeteria approach to cloud, as we've seen them take a cafeteria approach to other solutions in the past, and the schedules program has that flexibility. So that's a very good thing. And speaking of the schedules program, the consolidation is largely done now, and that took a while, but it was kind of a revolutionary change for the venerable schedule system, which, what where does it go back to the 60s, I guess, or a long time? What do you expect to see for the good old schedules as we head into 2022? Not a lot of signals yet from GSA. 
Yeah, Tom, I think the big thing about the GSA schedules program is it continues to be highly popular. It may not get the same degree of hype as a new IDIQ. For one thing, the schedules program is perpetually open to new offers. So it's not like there's a sense of urgency that says we've got to get our bids in by a certain day or we have to get our teams together so that we can bid on time. You can always submit an offer to get on the schedule. So from that perspective, it kind of flies a little low under the radar. But at the end of every fiscal year, when GSA tallies up the amount of business that's gone through the schedule contracts, you see their versatility and their popularity. IT and professional services certainly lead the way, Tom. They are by far the most popular parts of the schedules program. And what used to be the IT schedule, now it's all kind of rolled in together, is still the largest single IDIQ contract to buy information technology. And that's really a testament to GSA working with its partners for flexible solutions, having plenty of options on schedule, making it easier for customers to find solutions on schedule. I expect good things in 2022 for the schedules program. Larry Allen is president of Allen Federal Business Partners. As always, thanks so much. Tom, thank you. I wish your listeners happy selling. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything, and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, 
the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that, I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From Sea to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. 
And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com slash vision. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.